Come to the Home Depot this month and you'll learn a thing or two. Actually, three, with three free do-it-yourself workshops. Learn how to design and care for your container garden by selecting the best soil and aesthetically arranging your plants. Learn how to install tile flooring, even how to keep your outdoor deck and patio space in the best shape possible. See, it's never too late to learn something new. Register today at homedepot.com slash workshops for a do-it-yourself workshop near you. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Welcome, welcome. This is Creating a Family. Talk about infertility. Today we're going to be talking about how to choose the right sperm donor, a topic that most people involved with sperm donation truly wonder about. This show is brought to you by Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm your host, and I'm the director of Creating a Family. You can find us and all of our resources at creatingafamily.org. This show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. They want you to know about a new tool that is available just for men. It's an app. It's called Fertistrong. And it is designed by the same people who designed the app Ferticom. Ferticom focuses more for women, and Ferticom focuses on men who are going through infertility. And that's infertility regardless of if it is male factor and they are the infertile ones or if, it, if they are in a relationship with a partner who is infertile. Um, both are important. It is a self-help fertility support mobile app specifically designed for men. The app provides techniques that empower men with knowledge and self-help skills throughout their journey of infertility. It helps them, and it also is designed to help them support their partner. To learn more about Fertistrong for yourself or, let's be honest, for the man in your life, um, because we know that most of the people listening to this show are women, so uh, it is free. You can download it at their website, Fertistrong.com. That is Fertistrong.com. In addition to the underwriters of this show, we also, this show as well as everything we do at Creating a Family, is supported by our partners. And these are organizations who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, medically accurate information to the patient community. And one such sponsor is Schrafs 2.0. They are a specialty fertility pharmacy that believes pharmacy care can and should be remarkable. All of their employees, and that's all of them, from the pharmacist that you're dealing with all the way down to the shipping coordinator, have been trained to understand the stress of fertility treatment and are and to treat customers with dignity, empathy, and respect. Today we're going to be talking about how to find the right sperm donor. We're going to be talking with Suzanne Seitz, and Suzanne has some unique qualifications. Number one, she's been a friend of ours and has been on the show before. Uh, She is a certified genetic counselor, and she's been involved in the fertility field for over over 20 years, and she's been with Fairfax Cryobank for more than 10 years. And at Fairfax, she is involved with counseling people coming in on how to choose the right sperm donor. So she is spot on for the person to talk about this topic. We did this show um, a number, um, I think two years ago, 
Uh, and it has been so popular that we wanted to bring it back. The information is, is beyond evergreen. It is a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Suzanne, to Creating a Family. I'm glad to be here. You know, you and I uh, see each other at the American Society of Reproductive Medicine Conference each year, and it's such a zoo that it's such a. But we never get a chance to talk, so I'm really looking forward to actually having an hour of your time to pick your brain and talk with you. This is a topic that we get a lot of questions on. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion. Um, and I, the other thing that I find really interesting about uh, sperm donation in general is I think there's been a shift, or at least we certainly have seen one in the, the last 10 years or so. So what shift have you seen? I mean, what are, who are the primary people now that you see using sperm donation? That's very true. There has been a shift in the clients that we see who are buying donor sperm. Um, it used to be that they were primarily infertile couples, a man and a woman, and there was an issue with sperm count, and uh, they had donor sperm as an option. And now it has evolved truly to a group that still includes infertile couples, but also includes single women who are interested in having a child, as well as um, lesbian couples. So that is, it's wonderful to see that we have such a diverse group of clients that we serve. And it runs about 30 percent each a third each group you know that's exactly what i was going to say that you know and we've not you would have done um i'm sure the the your your numbers are better but anecdotally what i see from just questions we're getting um and the people who are talking uh, about it were it's about 30 30 30 yeah or thereabouts yeah, yeah. Like, like i said mine's mine's not uh, a very sophisticated survey there so what options do people have when choosing a a donor sperm or choosing a sperm donor what what are their choices for um uh, finding a sperm donor well it depends on what their special interest is uh we offer donors that are anonymous and we offer donors that are what we call id option who are willing to be known when their child reaches the age of 18 so it would be important for them to decide which type of donor suits them the best and then on top of that, they can select donors that have graduate degrees um, or any kind of degree that interests them in particular. Um, they can look for donors that have specific physical characteristics, certain ethnic backgrounds, um, whether or not they have an adult photo available. Uh, listening to their interviews may give them insight on the donor's personality, their personality testing results. So it allows them to really choose the kind of donor they want, and then investigate further by looking at the profile information that's available online. Do you see more people going for the ID, uh, uh, the option, the ID option uh, choice now? Well, I think the ID option donor, for people that want an ID option donor, it's an absolute, that's what they want. But we do see a, a, quite a few clients, uh, probably the majority of clients, who are either focused on the anonymous donor or are willing to choose an anonymous or an ID donor, depending on which donor they really like. So um, it is not that everyone wants an ID donor. It's truly people want an anonymous donor. Perhaps that's the way they want to structure their family is that that's the type of donor they choose. Um, and then some people absolutely decide that an ID donor is what they want. But we have many people, probably half of our clients, that are willing to accept either based on the donors that they are investigating and and like. And so for their, their prioritizing um, 
other factors over uh, ID. Gotcha. Okay. That's exactly right. We have a question from Leslie. She says, my wife and I are thinking about using either her cousin or a really good friend to donate sperm for me to get pregnant. I guess my question is pretty general. What should we think about or do if we're going to use one of them, and what kind of testing would they have to go through? So this would be a different category that Leslie and her wife are thinking about, and that is a known donor. Uh, And so... Her, her question is pretty general. What should they think about? And I'm, I'm reading that to say what considerations should they give about using a known donor versus a donor from a, a sperm bank, which could either be ad- anonymous or you can have ad- identifying information be available uh, when the child is of age. Most of our clients have considered a known donor at some point, someone they know, a friend um, or a family member from their partner's side. You know, that's very common to consider that as an option. Um, Known donors um, should be evaluated and screened the same way sperm donors are, and the FDA is very clear about what they expect as far as infectious disease testing, the need to quarantine samples for a period of time and then have donors retested. Um, It's also important to get a very thorough medical history so that that information can be transparent so that the woman who is having a child with this person really understand what the medical uh, family history risk factors might be. And of course, there's the legal component as well that anyone that's known to you, it's important that that very clear legal defining roles are established in writing um, and that that kind of contract be well established. Now, the advantage of using a sperm donor from a sperm bank is, is that all that legality has been taken care of. Um, these donors are in no way connected to the recipients or the the clients that we serve in a legal capacity. They have no parental rights. They have given up those parental rights legally. So that's a huge advantage. And in addition, we do all the screening and have paid for all the screening on our end so that really the only purchase that a client needs to make is that purchase for that vial. So we do take care of most of that information for you. And something I would throw out there for Leslie to think about as well, another thing that, that needs to be thought through very clearly and discussed uh, out in the open is uh, expectations of parenting roles. True. Uh, what does this person expect their role to be in the child's life and in your life, you and your wife's life? And the last caution I would throw out or the last suggestion I would throw out would be um, it is very important that, as you pointed out, uh, Suzanne, that this be legally that there's a legal document controlling this, and uh, it's very important that whatever attorney you use needs to specialize in reproductive law, and that is not the same thing necessarily as a family law attorney. And we have resources on our website for how to find an attorney that specializes in uh, reproductive law. Uh, and and that I think is also something that you absolutely need to think about before you go forward. Um, and in addition, you know, every state okay. has different rules and laws, and so it would be very important to not take the general view, but really find out specifically what's going on in your state. Uh, that would be very important to do all that how research they, before you make. 
How do they differ? I, that, that, how would states differ in what you could use for a, uh, a sperm, a, um, uh, a known sperm donor? Do you have any like examples? Well, of how they well an example would be if you did an at-home insemination with, uh, with a known donor. Um, there, there are differences in how that can be viewed legally versus doing an insemination through a physician's office, mm-hmm. and that the, their rights there are different rights that those biological fathers may have in those circumstances. Um, so that would be one example. So it would be very important for people to take that into consideration. And, you know, using um, a fresh vial of semen from an acquaintance or a friend carries a tremendous amount of risk as far as infectious disease and that kind of concern. So it is important really to, to look at the legal aspects, the infectious disease aspects, the medical history aspects. All of that is so important and requires a lot of research before that final decision is made. In general, what type of testing are sperm donors put through before they're allowed to donate to a sperm bank, or I guess even a known donor, because the FDA requirements would apply there as well? But what type, what things are they tested for? I guess we would all assume sexually transmitted diseases would be included right. in that, but, right. but in addition to sexually transmitted diseases. Well, you know, the FDA does re- does control the infectious disease testing for donors, and so that is very a very strict standard that all cryobanks need to adhere to. Um, in addition to that, there is genetic disease testing that is done, and a lot of that depends on the ethnic background of the donor. So, for instance, um, if someone is of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, there are a panel of Jewish diseases, and those diseases differ by sperm banks. Uh, we do 14 different diseases for our Jewish donors, and that's really important to rule out diseases that happen more frequently in the, in that particular ethnic group. Um, and those are recessive diseases. That means that the donor, if he's a carrier, and the mother, if she's a carrier of the same disease, they now have a significant risk for an affected child. For instance, uh, Tay-Sachs disease might be an example. So it's really important to minimize those risks as much as possible. Um, we also test our donors. Every donor has a chromosome analysis done. And a chromosome analysis is looking at that whole chromosome structure, not those individual genes like the Tay-Sachs gene, but looking at the whole chromosome structure. And we know our donors are are doing well healthy. They're healthy men, but they could have what we call a translocation, which is a piece of chromosomal material that's been moved. It's still all there. It just may not be in the right place. And people that carry these translocations are at increased risk for having um, sperm and egg that could result in miscarriage. So it's really important for us to rule that out and really optimize the chance for a healthy outcome for our clients. So all of our donors have had a how, I'm it's, just curious, it's not how common. Often do you see translocation? It's not common at all. I'm, uh, maybe one donor a year is excluded because of that. I mean, those donors are not on our are not available to our clients. You know, they don't make it through the screening process. Right. But it is important because if um, those donors would be uh, someone who had a translocation would be inclined then to produce sperm that could result in miscarriage, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't want right. our clients to undergo that if they if if it wasn't necessary. Um, or we even do less to, likely to conceive. I mean, some translocations correct. have conception as well. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, we, so we do cystic fibrosis screening on all of our donors as well, and our current donors are having 130 mutations studied and evaluated, and if they're negative, they can proceed through the screening process and be a donor. Um, 
we do a hemoglobin electrophoresis on all of our donors. Now, that's a test that's looking for sickle cell disease, beta thalassemia, and those are common diseases in, again, certain ethnic groups. The sickle cell would be in the African-American population, the beta thalassemia in our Italian, Mediterranean, uh, and certain Asian groups as well. So we're looking for diseases that um, are prevalent in those groups. Uh, we also do spinal muscular atrophy on all of our donors as well, which is a, one of the most common recessive forms of, um, of infant muscular dystrophy that, that is fatal. So it's obviously important to, to rule that out as well. So we yeah. do a, a very extensive battery of genetic testing, and that, and you know, we're very, uh, you know, that really gives us a sense of um, uh, confidence that our donors have been thoroughly screened. We sperm banks do different levels of screening, so it is important for anyone who's looking at a, at all the different sperm banks to take a look at the different screenings that they do, um, what they say the donors have been tested for, and whether or not they're negative and at reduced risk. All right, you are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about sperm donation, all things that uh, this is a general show, kind of a 101 type of show, so we're covering it from soup to nuts. Um, today, and, and I want to point out that Creating a Family has the largest infertility and adoption communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. Clout now ranks us as number two online influencer in the world in the areas of infertility as well as adoption. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. Uh, you can, of course, uh, connect with us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash family. We also have a huge uh, online support group, a Facebook, it's a closed Facebook group. You can connect. We're, oh, we're approaching 6,500 members at this point. Um, you can find us there at facebook.com slash groups slash family, or the easiest way is just type the words creating a family in the Facebook search box, and you can like the group and like the page and join the group. Um, you can also connect with me individually. I'm Dawn.Davenport1. We hang out on Pinterest and Twitter as well, and we go by at Creating a Family on both of those. So we would just really enjoy having you hang out with us. We have fun. Um, here's a question from, um, well, she's asked me not to use her name. She says, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking ahead, I know, but I want to have two kids, and I want them to be from the same donor sperm sperm donor. Uh, what do I need to do to make sure that I will have enough sperm from the same donor to have at least a couple of tries? Do I need to buy them all up front? That's a great question, and I can't tell you how incredibly disappointed clients are if they come back to, to us and say, I'm ready to buy for my second child and to find out that the donor has been sold out. It's a tremendous disappointment. So there are some things that clients can do proactively. Uh, certainly when they find a donor they like and a donor that they then purchase and use to conceive their first child, they can say they can go back and purchase additional vials and place those in storage. And they can keep that storage account indefinitely. And any vials that aren't used in a in a future pregnancy can be sold back for fifty percent credit as long as they haven't left the sperm bank. So that gives them an insurance policy. Those vials can be kept in their name, and then they can use those in future pregnancy attempts. Um, it, it, donors have a limited supply. You know, they're typically in our program between six months and a year. They produce a limited number of donations that are then 
made available for sale, and then they will at some point sell out. In addition, we do have a, a pregnancy limit, a birth limit, um, where we will stop selling vials to new families once that limit is reached. So it, all these things could limit the availability of clients to access that donor again. So it's really important for people to consider that when they find a donor they like. Um, we also find that um, our lesbian couples will often want one mother to have the child and then the other mother to have subsequent children. And so that's important to put into consideration as well so that their children can be half-siblings and share the same biological uh, donor. Very yeah, important. That makes sense. And we're also seeing that um, much more frequently as well. Um, if if you've sold out but somebody has conceived using a sperm donor, do you allow them to go back or can you go back to the original sperm donor and say that a family that has a child uh, using your uh, specimen is wanting another one, can you donate again? Is that something that you do? That that's called reactivation, and that request is made fairly frequently. Um, yeah, it does. the The unfortunate part of that option is is that it does require the donor to be completely rescreened to FDA standards, vials quarantined and released, and that process is then taken. That that cost of that process is taken on by that client making the request, and it can be upwards of six thousand dollars. And and clearly, that's not the first choice. The best choice is to simply buy the additional vials that you need, store them, and and have them on hand if you need them. Uh, reactivation is an option. It does require that the donor be available, and that's not always the case. You know, they do move on with their lives. They may have moved out of the country. They may be not near a collection site where we can receive those donations and do that screening, and so it may not even be an option at all. So it really is best to to buy and store. Yeah, even if you're it, it just in the uh, with the forethought that we might want to use it, and if not, right. we will sell it back. You, as you say, and you need to check with the sperm bank. Not all sperm banks allow that, um, but so you do need to check with the sperm bank and make sure that what the the rules are for that the sperm bank you're thinking about for the buyback policy. Correct. That's true. Exactly. All those sperm banks do have different policies on that. Exactly. So, how long can sperm remain viable in a frozen state? Well, that uh, that's a great question, and we get that question a lot. Um, to date, we have seen research and, and pregnancy outcomes that show that more than 40 years can pass and you still have a viable semen sample with healthy children. So uh, we expect that number to actually only increase, um, that the, the, it may be 50, 60 years. So clearly it's a, a, it's a state of suspended animation, and it is indefinite. Wow, that's amazing. Um, do, do you have, I would assume your donors sell out quicker than, you don't have uh, on in, in current stock, how old uh, is it typical to expect to see, and I re, you'll have to give me a general one and just speak for yourself. Right. This would probably be similar for other sperm banks as well. Um, how long do you generally see sperm uh, on the shelf before it sells? Um, typically, a donor, like I was saying before, he has to be in the program for at least six months, files quarantined before the first files release. From the point of first release, a donor may be active on the list and have files uh, available for perhaps one to two years. Um, there are some donors that will sell out more quickly. Um, some donors that have not um, provided a lot of donations before they have left the program. Some donors have, have provided more donations. So it does depend on what 
what how many vials we had to start with to sell. Um, and clearly, some of our donors are are uh, they sell out more quickly than other donors um, for whatever reason it might be that well, they we're have a certain. Talk about that. In a yeah. About okay. What, yeah. About yeah. I guess that's a topic that I think is going to be kind of a fun because it's a a peek behind the doors. Um, how much diversity? If you are a if you're married to say a, uh, a, a, a mixed race, your your partner is mixed race, and you want the maybe uh, Puerto Rican, black, and uh, Italian or something, and you want the donor to reflect the uh, uh, racial uh, background uh, of your of your partner. Um, how much options, how much diversity is in your donor sperm p- uh, pool, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. Well, you know, it's a huge priority of ours to find donors from diverse backgrounds. That's really important. We know that clients want that. And so we've, you know, we've, we have many donors of countless ethnicities on our website, and you can actually select a specific ethnicity, and those donors with that in their um, parents' Heritage will appear on your short list. So there is a way to search lists for that particular um, desire. Now, the more qualifiers you put in there, the shorter your list will be. So if people remain somewhat flexible, they will be able to have more options. Um, and that list also changes. You know, we're constantly putting up new donors, 10 to 15 new donors every month. So even if you may not find that ideal donor in January, if you come back in February, there's a whole new group of donors that you can um, can you look that you can look at. So that's always an option too, is to 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 have your search go on for a number of months. You are listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about sperm donation. Um, I want to take a moment now to tell you about a few more of our wonderful gold sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you to this show. We have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law, including providing a gestational surrogacy matching program, as well as legal services for independent surrogacy, egg donation, and embryo donation. We have Manhattan Cryobank. They are dedicated to helping clients have healthy babies by analyzing a client's DNA in combination with the DNA of prospective sperm donors to provide the client with a personalized catalog of safer donor matches. Who is the Suzanne Suzanne Sykes, yes. I should add, is our guest today. Uh she is a genetic counselor and has worked for Fairfax Cryobank for uh, many years. Uh Suzanne, who is a typical sperm donor? I think we all have in our heads that it's a uh a medical student uh paying his way or working his way through medical school. Um, I suspect it's not exactly that anymore, that that might be an outdated uh, myth or stereotype. So who is the typical sperm donor? Well, we certainly do have donors that are in college pursuing a degree, absolutely have a a healthy number of donors that are in that category. But we also have young professionals that have graduated from college and are in their careers. We have a, a number of our donors who are married, who have children, and they're really motivated through um, personal experiences to help other families have children. Um, so we have quite quite a mix of donors. They they range in age from 18 to 39, and on average the donors are in about 20 to 22 to 24 year old range. So we have quite quite a range of donors from different backgrounds. 22 to 24. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Um, 
let's ask about the availability of pictures. That's something we hear a lot of. Um, and one of the questions uh, we have, it's a, a convoluted question, so I'm not going to read it, but basically why are pictures allowed for, uh, are available for some? Why are adult pictures harder to come by? Um, uh, what should they expect, uh, what should somebody considering uh, sperm donation expect as far as pictures? Well, most sperm banks offer childhood photos of all their donors, and we do that as well. It's it's truly a wonderful way to look at a donor at first glance and see if he's somebody that you find appealing. Um, often people will make that emotional connection with that childhood photo. So childhood photos are relatively standard, um, and it's really a wonderful way to connect with the donor initially. Uh, we do have a, a, about 130 donors on our list that have offered adult photos. And that means that they um, can either provide just one adult photo or even a series of photos that go from childhood all the way through adulthood. We call that a lifetime series. And the donors have made that available, but we do ask our clients who are viewing those photos that they keep those private. So that is the understanding between us and our clients is, is that those are those are really informational. They're not to be shared. They're not to be um, publicly displayed and um, it, and or used in any way to um, identify the donor. So we have that understanding with our clients. And, and these donors as adults can, can provide, especially these adult photos that are available, really provide clients who find that really critically important, a very important piece of information before they make that final decision. Um, people that like adult photos want to see adult photos. And for some people, it's really not that important. But for people where they want to see that, it becomes critically important. Um, and not all donors, like I said, have agreed to this. Um, so they do it with that understanding that it that it's kept in confidence. And, they, and, and at least at Fairfax and, and I think other banks as well, uh, you can search for donors who do have. So if that's something that is vital, uh, that's vital to you in making your decision, then you need to search for uh, limit your pool of people you're searching through to just those who will have agreed to provide it. And that's a, that's an option. I we might add that we. I might add that we've uploaded all of the adult photos of our donors, even the ones that have not consented to have them publicly released, into a a, a face match option. Now that's a free screening tool and if you have a photograph of someone you would like the donor to resemble, you can upload that into this application on our website and we will give you a list of donors that most resemble that photograph. And this is done by 44 points on the face. It's it's mathematical logarithms that they use similar to what the FBI uses in their facial recognition technology. And so every donor has a photograph to which a photo could be matched. And so even if there isn't an adult photo available, you could find a donor that resembles someone you would like them to match. Now, it could be that you want them to, to, to resemble your husband or your partner, but it could be that you might want them to resemble Bradley Cooper. So you have all those options available in finding donors that look like certain individuals. I was going for George Clooney myself, but okay. Oh, yeah. George Clooney would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah be we also have a, a photo matching option where if you send in a photograph to our client services department, they will actually do that comparison uh, with other criteria in mind and really help walk you through that process hand in hand. Um, and that, that's also available. 
Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna bring somebody in from your uh, client services in just a second. I have one more question for you, Suzanne, before we introduce okay. our next guest. And this is from Kaylin. She says, uh, will I know in advance how many times a donor has donated or plans to donate? How many times they are how many times are they allowed to donate? And and although she did not ask, what, another question that we do hear from people is, will we know in advance how many other children have been born? through his donations or how many pregnancies are uh, so uh, I'll throw that in as well thoughts on that it is that is a very legitimate question that people have you know we have a limit at our sperm bank at Fairfax cryobank of of 25 families that um, that have once they've reported a birth to us after 25 families we no longer make that donor available to other families and so that's an important number to keep in mind and if you're looking at a donor and you want to know what his family number is we can share information with you to to help you with that decision uh, as to whether or not you want to proceed with that donor but that information is available you would need to call into client services and let them know which donor you're specifically interested in and we also will show when a pregnancy has been accomplished with that donor um, and so that's important information we know that that clients want to use donors that have proven pregnancies. That's so critically important. Um, so both pregnancy information and the family number information is accessible through client services. And speaking of client services, let me bring in our next guest, Cheryl Doppenberger. She is the Director of Client Services at Fairfax Cryobank. Welcome, Cheryl. Um, we've got uh, the um, the more uh, what are people thinking, how are they choosing type of questions that we've saved for you. So welcome to Creating a Family. Well, thank you so very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, the uh, here's a here's a question. I'm going to just jump in with one, uh, and I'm going to they they did not use their name. So, my partner and I both have doctoral degrees, and I'm not extra sure if this is a he or she. We really think a child that is highly intelligent would best fit in our family because of the options we would be able to give him or her. How do you assess intelligence in donors, and can we pay for an IQ test? So that's. A very good question. <clears throat> and one thing um, that we have as far as our donor search is concerned are, as Suzanne mentioned, our graduate donors. So those are a group of donors that um, have graduate degrees and a, a lot of people that are looking for um, similar backgrounds and education levels will, will immediately start their search by looking at just the list of graduate donors because that then helps them um, know that they've got that level of education, um, you know, moving just into the process to get started. Do you do anything with SAT scores or IQ tests? Seems like that would be a little um, invasive, but do you do anything? Uh, I know certain egg donors, uh, egg donor agencies at least advertise that they uh, can, can provide SAT scores. Is that anything that you have that you offer? Yes, yes, actually it is. We have um, all of the donors' information in their personal profiles as it pertains to um, their school and um, any SATs, ACTs that, they, that they've taken. So all of that is actually listed right in the donors' personal profile, so that way you'd be able to further investigate and make a final determination as to whether or not that would be the best donor choice for you based upon those different scores. Okay. Yeah. So for people who that's an important criteria, then that's something they're they're able to do. What are the characteristics that people choosing a sperm donor sperm donor 
primarily interested in. Um, I think most people assume it's going to be looks or IQ, but I, I wonder, is that it? You're, you're the one who's working with clients coming in looking. So what are the characteristics just in general that you see people prioritizing? So I, I think it really depends upon um, the the client that's coming into the process. Is this um, a single woman? Is this um, a married couple? A uh, same-sex couple? A lot of people in a relationship are looking for characteristics that match the spouse who will not carry the child. Um, single women will come into the process, and, and a lot of um, of those clients are are looking for adult photos because you know they're going into this process alone and and they want to be able to get as much information um, as possible about the donor. So I, I think people really just start with the very basic information, trying to decide what's most important. Is there a significant other in in the process that they can use their physical characteristics to go back? on our search and actually um, make a match between, you know, hair color, eye color, you know, level of education, different things along uh, along those lines. You guys, and I think some other sperm banks, have the ability to um, do a facial recognition type where you, where you put the, the picture of the person that you're seeking, um, a donor that resembles in. Do you find that people are generally putting, if they're in a relationship, a partner? And if not, I mean... Is there, I mean, uh, Suzanne and I were laughing about George Clooney or, or Bradley Cooper, but, I mean, is there a particular celebrity that, that people think, you know, that is, that, that's the person who is so darn cute that I, you know, that would be giving my kid a leg up <laughs> if my child looked <laughs> like that person? And if so, who is that person? I'm just curious. You know, you know, I don't, I don't think that there is a standard person. I, I definitely know in, um, in my history here that um, there was definitely a period of time where Bradley Cooper and George Clooney, as you mentioned, were were two, you know, top of the line. They're like, hey, you know, can can you tell us what donors might resemble resemble them? Um, but but you <laughs> With know, good reason. You know, with very good reason. So <laughs> I think, again, it's it's really based upon the, the factors and their specific situation when, when coming in and starting their search for the donor. So they have, and, they, and I would guess that people in a relationship are more often looking for someone who will resemble their partner. Do you see that? Is that, is that an accurate guess on my part? Uh, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. So I, I think that that's um, that's how most um, clients make that decision when they are in a relationship is they decide who will carry, and from there they often, um, more than not, are, are going to try and match the characteristics of of their spouse. So that way, they everybody has um, some involvement and contribution to to the process. Right, and Suzanne was mentioning, and we have certainly seen an uptick in this that uh, of uh, with lesbian couples where uh, they both intend at some point to carry a child, uh, and so they're um, so they're they're looking for something you know down the uh, that would would fit for both of them ending up carrying a, carrying a child. I don't know how common are you seeing that? I, we don't see it real frequently, but we are hearing more people talking about it. Yes, you know that's actually a, a very good point. That's that's something that I'd say wasn't wasn't uh, very common until just recently. Um, I think I hear more and more about um, the desire for both um, uh, 
both of the partners to be able to actually carry. And so that's when um, they'll set up their account and they'll buy several vials. So that way both partners have the opportunity to carry and they can also guarantee them the availability since the vials are purchased and stored here with, with Fairfax. So that way we can guarantee the availability since there is always a chance, of course, of the donor selling out. And Yeah, and Suzanne and I talked about that at length. So it, one vial allows for one insemination. Is that how it works, or can a vial be used for more than one insemination? So once a vial is thawed, it, it cannot be refrozen. Oh, it can't. Um, okay, interesting. N- no, you, you don't want to refreeze, at least for our samples. Um, once once the sample is thawed, you want to go ahead and, and use that sample. You don't want to freeze, uh, you know, a portion of that to try um, another cycle because th- the quality of the sample will will definitely go down if you attempt to refreeze and thaw again for another procedure. Most clients are going to order between one and two samples per procedure, really depending upon what their clinic is going to recommend for the type of procedure that they'll undergo. Right, and and if they if there's any anticipated fertility issues that they might have, that obviously changes um, how many vials they need to order. Correct. So, yeah, exactly. And we unfortunately do hear from people who did not anticipate that they were going to have fertility issues, but for various reasons, oftentimes because they have uh, wait. We see it a lot with our uh, single moms by choice who have waited, uh, hoping to find a partner. Uh, or waiting to their career was more established, and they uh, are running into, even though they they had no indication beforehand uh, that they might have fertility issues, they're running into fertility issues uh, for a variety of reasons, but often because of age. So it's you don't always know going in. Correct. You got it. Yep. How specific can people be? when choosing a donor. We talked about, uh, we've already talked about IQ, SAT scores, and stuff like that, and and Suzanne and I mentioned race, that obviously is one, and, and hair color and eye color. But what about religion or, like, uh, specific ath- athletic abilities, very specific, like swimming or tennis, uh, or, or how specific can you be, and which are the characteristics that are the more popular ones that people are, are screening out or looking at donors for? Sure, that's that's a great question. So, um, I, we on our donor search, you can actually get um, so very specific and put in a lot of different criteria. And I know Susan had mentioned the more specific you are with your search, the smaller results that you'll um, receive in the end. So it's sometimes easier to be a little bit flexible. Um, to get started, and from there you can continue to add more criteria that really is very important to you. So um, on our search, you you can search by talent and hobbies, personal goals, um, the, the donor's favorite pet, their religion, um, oh, an astrological that. sign. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, well, there you go, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of different criteria that that can be used uh, above and beyond just the education level, hair and eye color. We have um, a skin tone, um, the uh, donor's age range, and whether or not they offer adult photos can also be um, screened out through the through the initial search process. But you know, I wonder is 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 having a smaller number to select from really a problem because it seems to me that certainly we hear people 
Not that this keeps him from considering uh, donor sperm, but we certainly hear of the how in the world will I ever be able to decide, you know, that concern or, you know, I'm just going to feel overwhelmed. So it seems like a smaller number wouldn't be such a bad thing. I mean, what's the average number that people generally spend time getting additional information on and really using, putting into their uh, into the pile that they're seriously considering? How many do people generally want to, to have to go through that with? Well, what I always recommend is that you, again, start your search uh, very basic and just continue to add more criteria in to really dwindle down the list. I, I always suggest to my clients, um, don't, don't start with any more than 10 donors, and uh, your ultimate goal is to get down to three and have them ranked as one, two, and three. So that way, we can then help with availability and ensuring that um, we're able to have um, the preparation type that, that the client will need for their procedure. And, and, and again, the, the smaller number of results, I agree, is, is a lot easier to, to manage because otherwise you can be stuck with um, over, over 300 donors that you're, you're trying to sort of sort exactly. through to, to make the best decision. So, you know, a lot of people do call very overwhelmed and I say, okay, let's just start basic. And, you know, we walk through the process with them and, and really try and start as basic as the hair color, eye color. What is it that is most important to uh, what, what qualities is it that you're looking for in your donor? And we'll just walk through the process with them and get a, a smaller list that's a lot more manageable for them people to, to um, dig through a, a bit deeper to determine whether or not that would be a suitable donor for them. You know, because you really can't you just become overwhelmed. I mean, there's no way that you can make an educated assessment um, on 300. I mean, there just isn't. There's not enough time, and that would just overwhelm mm -hmm. you. So, yeah, yeah. 10 would be I, – I like that. It, try to come up with 10 that you could live with and then spend time really analyzing 10 and then come up with the others. That that makes – that I think that also makes people feel that the task itself seem less daunting, uh, which – and, and there's so many criteria that you can use to winnow down the the, the large list um, and, and play around with it. That 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 really, it's not so daunting when you actually get into it. I think. Correct. Exactly. And that's that's what we want to we want to help our clients do is is really get a more manageable list. You are listening to Creating a Family talk about infertility and adoption. Today we're talking about everything you want to know about donor sperm. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter. We have two of them, one for infertility and one for adoption. We let you know about the latest developments in infertility or adoption, as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topic. And we add about four to five pieces of content every week to our site, and we'll tell you about what we've added that week as well. You can sign up for our newsletter. It is free, and we um, do not share your contact information with anyone for any reason, period. You can sign up on the top right-hand side of any page of our website, creatingafamily.org. So how do people decide? I'm just curious, uh, just in general, I think it would be a uh, – uh, I'm a checklist person, so I would probably have a checklist. Um, I know others are more of a gut feel person, and they just read and just are drawn, drawn towards something. Uh, out of curiosity, because you have a bird's eye view of how people are making a decision, how do you see people make a decision? I think for the most part, as as you said, it's really it's really the checklist, 
and that's what we in client services try to um, work with the clients to create is the ultimate checklist. A lot of people will contact us and say, okay, I'm, I'm getting started, but I'm not even sure how to get started. And that's when we help them formulate that checklist so that way they're able to really determine what is most important um, and what qualities their donor must have in order for them to be the right donor. And again, once, once we're able to get that list made, then it's a lot easier to, to manage the, um, the search and really uh, you know, dwindle down, down the number of donors to have to um, read through the profiles and, and um, you know, make that final decision. I think that, that for a lot of people, it is the intangibles that would be important, their personality, whether they're kind, um, that type of thing. So how do, you, how do you tease out something that nebulous? Yeah, that's, that's actually something that we do, we do offer is, is what we call our Kiersey testing. And that is a personality test on the donor. So you have the ability um, to go online, and once you've got your shorter list of donors, you can actually order uh, the Kiersey personality testing, which will um, give you better insight on the donor's personality. And you would even have the option to take um, a Kiersey test yourself, so that way you can see how the test works and, um, you know, just even compare the two uh, against each other. A lot of people find that very um, important in the process. So we'll yeah, typically um, suggest the Kiersey testing, and we also have donor essays where the donors, you know, will be able to answer a series of questions, and that can also help sort of um, help our clients make a connection on a personal level um, and, and in reference to their, their personality and, and how they answer these different types of questions. So for single women, be they straight or lesbian, who usually helps with the selection process, or do most do it by themselves? I think in this process, uh, there's not very many people that um, that actually make the decision by themselves. If if they don't have any friends or family that they're um, talking with about the process, uh, a lot of those clients will just contact client services, and you know we're uh, their partner in, in in assisting with the actual search itself. So. I don't. I don't know that very many people go in the, in this completely alone. But if they are um, not including family or friends, they always have client services here at Fairfax to be able to assist them. So that way, we can be their you know their sound sounding board and and really just sort of help them through the actual process. This has been a couple of years ago, but someone posted uh, on our support group that they were having a donor selection party. She was a single woman, and she was inviting some friends over, and they were going to go through the – and I, I don't remember now how many that they had narrowed it down to. I think it was more than three, though. And they were going to spend the evening uh, going through them, and, and she reported back that they had uh, – that she did did narrow it down to one and that they had a great time um, as a group. Have you ever heard of, of others doing that? 
I, you know, we, we actually have, especially with, with family members, um, you know, a, a lot of people will um, not only have friends in groups, you know, just sort of talk about it and try, um, you know, again, just, just to have somebody else there to assist with the final decision, but, but also family members, um, depending upon, again, the, the client situation. I think that it will. Um, it's always helpful that they um, are able to actually go to the search together, and, and they have somebody to help them through the process. And you know, just just in general, having somebody else go through something with you is is very beneficial. Um, we also do offer um, our Fairfax Family Forums, which allow our clients to connect with other clients that are starting the process and or have been successful with the use of, uh, of the donor. So a lot of people will connect on our forum as well for additional information and, you know, again, just for, for feedback and, and, you know, other people's experience through the process. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think I am a huge believer in the power of online support groups and and forums. Um, I think in-person is great, too, but given the way our society is moving and our perception of our availability of time, online really is uh, is the place to be. And I think that uh, having a dedicated forum of people who who have already done it or are considering it just could be very, very valuable for um, people because it normalizes the process. You don't have mm-hmm. – most of us don't have a next-door neighbor or the person in the cubicle next to us at work who is going through this process. Or people in our past, we can't then turn to our cousin and say, oh, when you were selecting a donor, because most of them have not had to go through this. So uh, if you're lucky, you do know somebody in person, but oftentimes mm-hmm. we don't. So. That's uh, is your forum divided uh, into uh, uh, different stages? People thinking about it, or um, or is it just a general forum? Well, it is actually divided in, into many different uh, sections. So it can be um, a forum where people are just getting started, and it goes all the way to um, a- after people have actually had a child with a donor, and then those families that have reported their births back to us can actually dry, um, join a private forum. So that way they, they can have private discussions um, amongst sibling uh, groups, I guess we, we, would, we would consider it, and the you know the different parents are able to then connect with each other and share stories and and photographs so it's 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 really great and and it really goes through the very beginning stages all the way through um post conception services so there really is a place for the forum um for for everybody to to take part in so there will be a for Donor X, who uh, there will be a forum just for families who conceived using Donor X. Correct, you got it. Gotcha. Interesting. And how how popular are those? How uh, how many people reach out uh, to connect with families who have conceived using the same donor? There there are definitely a lot of families and and a lot of different private forums. So once um, somebody. Uh, goes to our forum, they'll request to join a private forum, and we then internally have the ability to verify that there is a registered birth here on file. So 
we can grant access to that person to join that private forum. So the, the good thing about our forums is that we are actually verifying that these are clients that have used and had success with the donors versus, uh, you know, anybody being able to join this group and, and partake in conversations. So it's, it's something that we're able to do and monitor the, um, the use and the communication with everybody to ensure that it, that it is only people that have actually had a reported birth from the donor, and then those, those clients are able to connect. Interesting. And we have one question that my, I'm hoping you can answer, and it, I don't know if it was more directed to Suzanne or not, but it's come in about the distinction between home insemination and using a doctor uh, to inseminate you. And the question, uh, I'm reading it pretty quickly here, but uh, the advantages and disadvantages of both, and it's a, 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 a lesbian couple who I believe would prefer to do home insemination, and they're trying to figure out what the disadvantages of a home insemination would be. So uh, any thoughts on that, Cheryl? So I, I think, um, first and foremost, what's important to mention is that we at Fairfax, we're not medical, so we can't provide the tools um, to perform the procedure or the um, the instructions on how to uh, get the best results from the insemination. So we're going to ask that our clients are all working with um, a licensed medical professional, and um, from there that that medical professional is able to authorize Fairfax to ship samples to that client's home address. With that being said, the client is then able to reach out to that medical professional and ask the different questions that they'll need to perform the insemination and any tools that may be needed to actually perform the insemination. And a lot of people do prefer to be able to do that in the privacy of their own home. So it, it is actually something very common here um, at Fairfax, and we, we can definitely help um, our clients through that process and finding a doctor that will assist with shipping to the client's home address so that way we know that the client can have um, a, a, a positive outcome at home because they still have the advice from their, their medical professional. Um, and, and, you know, some, some clinics are okay with this. Other clinics prefer that, that everything is done in their office. But again, we, we can definitely assist with this process um, of of either going to a clinic and or shipping to a home address. Does it have to be a infertility clinic, a reproductive endocrinologist, or can it be a family doctor or a gynecologist? It, probably more. It it can be anybody with with a, a valid medical license. So it's it's not you know directed just um, you know towards GYN or or anybody else. So even a primary care doctor could could sign off on that document, as long as, of course, they feel comfortable in being able to provide everything that would be needed for a, a successful insemination. Gotcha. Okay. Let me take one last time to tell you about another gold sponsor of Creating a Family. That is Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been a pioneer in offering embryo donation and adoption services to clients throughout the world through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. They have celebrated more than 400 babies through this, the birth of more than 400 babies through this program. Today we have been talking about sperm donation. Creating a Family has a lot of resources on sperm donation. It is a popular option amongst our, our audience, 
in our communities. So you can find those that information about sperm donation by going to our website, creatingafamily.org. Click on the infertility tab on the at the top of the homepage or any page actually, and it will take you to our landing our infertility landing page. You can go to our A to Z resource uh, guide for infertility and then get to access all of our resources on sperm donation. If you've enjoyed this show, please give us a rating on iTunes. We are ranked number one. We want to keep that ranking. And uh, they utilize our reviews. It is super easy and super fast. It is a star rating. Or if you're feeling magnanimous, you can give us a written review. But either one would work. Uh, If you've got iTunes on your phone or computer, just go there and type in Creating a Family, and the rating box comes up. Thank you so much, Suzanne Seitz and Cheryl Dobbenberger from Fairfax Cryobank for being our guest today on uh, this show. I To get more information, you can go to their website. Cheryl, what is your website? Sure. Our website is uh, fairfaxcryobank.com. I love it when they're easy uh, to give o- uh, online and over the air. <laughs> it's, uh, Absolutely. Nice when we call those uh, pretty URLs. Uh, thank you both for being our guest today, and please go to their website, fairfaxcryopink.com, to get more information uh, about sperm donation and the services that they offer. Thank you guys for joining us, and I will see everybody next week. Now at the Home Depot, save up to 35% off appliance special buys, like the Samsung stainless steel side-by-side refrigerator, just nine ninety-eight. You save 300 bucks. It's big enough to hold 25 bags of groceries. Unload those, and if that makes you thirsty, you'll really love the external ice maker and water dispenser. Today is the day for doing. Spring Black Friday savings now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details valid through April 17th. Right now at the Home Depot, you'll save up to 35% off appliance special buys, like a GE Appliance's top-load washer and dryer pair with deep clean and deep rinse options, a reliable heavy-duty agitator, and four precise water levels, just $4.78 each. Wash, dry, save, repeat. Today is the day for doing with Spring Black Friday Savings now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only while supplies last. Gas dryer extra. See store for details valid through April 17th.